In the name of Jesus, amen. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And what does this mean? It means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This is the very first thing you learn in confirmation. The first thing that hits you right in the face when you open the small catechism. This is the first thing that every child should be taught to commit to memory. That there is only one true God and this is the very first thing that I teach when catechizing people who want to become members of Zion. We dwell on this commandment and don't move on until they completely understand what this means. To have God alone as God. And so that's what we're going to meditate here on today. We're going to meditate on the first commandment. This isn't simply a commandment that you learn once and then you quickly forget and move on. In fact, this is the essence and the substance of the Christian life. To have God as your God. So you should remember this every single day. You should measure yourself up according to this perfect standard of God's law with this commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. So Martin Luther uh, wrote very clearly on the first commandment and what it means to have a God, right? what this means for you. Listen to what he says. What does it mean to have a God? Or what is God? The answer is a God means that anything from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe Him from the whole heart. As I've often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. Therefore, it is the intent of this commandment to require true faith and trust of the heart, which settles upon the only true God and clings to Him alone. It's as if He were to say, See to it that you let me alone be your God and never seek another. That is, whatever you lack of good things, expect it of me, and look to me for it. And whenever you suffer misfortune or distress, hold fast and cling to me. I, yes, I will give you enough and help you out of every need. Only do not let your heart cling to or rest in any other. So this is what he wrote, and this is what it means to have a God. So you see that it's not that there really are other gods. It's that our heart treats things as if they are God. It hopes in them. It expects things from them. It expects happiness and joy and good things from things that aren't actually God. But even though these gods aren't real, it doesn't mean that they're not dangerous. Because although they don't exist, they do damage our faith in the one true God who really does exist. Because they tempt us and they entice us away from trusting in Him. And so what Dr. Luther does in his small and large catechism is he points out what is a God and how we treat things as God. But in his large catechism, he goes on with the first commandment uh, listing six things that become idols or gods to us. Six things that our hearts cling to. And the first one is called mammon. Mammon is the word that Jesus uses for money and the things that money can buy and even things money can't buy. Mammon is that false god that tempts both the rich and the poor alike. So if you're rich or if you're poor, don't think that you're immune to this or that you can escape from this. 
Because the rich think that it was money that gave them everything that they have and not God. And then the poor think if they only had money, then all of their problems would go away. And so they, they're both looking to money to solve their problems. So a quick way to check if you're not only flirting with the God, the false God Mammon, but in fact trusting in Mammon above God is to think about winning the lottery or inheriting a large sum of money. If you think that winning, winning the lottery is going to solve all of your problems, even financial problems, then you do trust in money more than in God. The second false god or idol that Luther points out is skill. When our power, our influence, our office, our station in life, our prestige, our own good name, our reputation, so on and so forth, when these things become more important to us than church, than God, than reading his word, then we've turned those things into idols for ourselves. So if you're more worried about losing your reputation and your power in life or in the church or in your work or whatever it might be or in your family, if you're more worried about losing that than God's forgiveness, then you're worshiping the false God of your skill and reputation. You've turned that into an idol. So I have to pause here and say that neither money nor power nor reputation are evil in and of themselves. They're all gifts from God. These are things that God blesses us with, both believer and unbeliever alike. But to fear losing these things more than losing God exposes the sinfulness of our hearts. If you trust that these things will give you a better life than God can give you, then you're breaking the first commandment. So back to uh, these, these idols. Uh, the third one is the idol of saints. So you know this to be true from the Roman Catholic Church's teaching on the adoration of saints. In fact, they teach their members to pray for their intercession. So it's not only unbiblical, but it, what it does is it despises Christ being the one true mediator between God and man. And so you might not think that this is really a big deal, but it really runs rampant among Christians today. And you hear this kind of in passing. And it happens especially when loved ones die. And family members are tempted to call upon them, their loved ones, or ask for their help once they're dead, or seek their prayers once they're dead. Now Luther continues and he says, here's the fourth idol uh, that, that, that we're tempted to bow down to. And that's the idol of magic and sorcery. And this seems absurd to us today, but many Christians are tempted to find some sort of comfort in this. In fact, in times of sorrow, many Christians have been so deceived that they go to psychics and mediums to contact their deceased, their loved ones. They go to cleanse themselves of evil spirits or to bring good fortune upon themselves or they use crystals and other things and objects to heal themselves or they wear things to ward off evil. Some go to those who will read tarot cards and read their palms just to get some sort of answer to life even if those answers are lies. Uh, by the way, regarding this, uh, this particular uh, temptation to magic and sorcery, uh, don't say that you'll never be tempted by this. Uh, I personally know a number of people who have scoffed at this one time in their life, and then they fell headlong into it when they were at their weakest point, when terrible things started to happen. 
they started to go to tarot card readers and psychics and mediums and try to find some sort of relief. Now, the fifth idol that Luther points out is actual false gods. And these are gods like Zeus and Thor, but also gods like Allah and Vishnu and Shiva. The fact that other religions exist alone shows how much the sinful heart doesn't want God to be the one true God. And so we come to the final one. And this one is the most extreme, the most tempting. All the other false gods and idols are real temptations for the Christian, and some fall into this. But for those of you here today, there's an idol, there's a false god that you are tempted to worship more than all of these others. And the sixth and last one is the most tempting, and it's the idol of our works. This is the idol of our doing, of our accomplishments. We're tempted to believe that our own works are sufficient to please God. And so this makes sense to our fallen flesh. So we think, look, if God is mad at me because of my sin, because of what I do and don't do, then God should be happy with me when I do good things and when I abstain from bad things. And this makes sense to our flesh. And so we hear this so often when people say, I'm going to heaven, I'm sure, or I think I'll go to heaven, I'm a good person. Or I don't deserve to go to hell because I'm now a murderer, I'm not like others. But this is a false logic of our fallen flesh. Listen to what Paul Sporadis, the ex-Roman Catholic turned Lutheran, wrote in his hymn, the hymn Salvation Unto Us Has Come. He writes in one of the verses, It was a false, misleading dream that God his law had given, that sinners could themselves redeem and by their works gain heaven. The law is but a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. From sin our flesh could not abstain, sin held its sway unceasing. The task was useless and in vain, our guilt was air increasing. None can remove sin's poisoned dart or purify our guileful heart. So deep is our corruption. So here we see that we oftentimes turn to ourselves to try and please God. And then we see, we find only guilt in our own hearts. And we try to remedy and take away that guilt by doing things. And by trying to cover what uh, what we've done by other things. And this is why we so often fall to the God of self, the God of works. And this is the false god and the idol that we worship most, the idol of ourself, for our own works. But when we think we can honestly please God by what we do, then we don't have God as our true God. Because he himself has told us that even our good works are like filthy rags before his throne. That it's impossible to please God without faith. So when we think that we can gain heaven, We disregard God's word that tells us how sinful we really are. And this is what this commandment exposes, our lack of faith in God. Other commandments talk about what you should and what you shouldn't do with your mouth, with your ears, and with your hands. But this commandment, the first commandment, talks about what you should do and shouldn't do with your heart. This commandment is both obeyed and broken in your heart. It's known to you and to God. So if your heart is in the right place, 
everything else will follow. If you fear, love, and trust in God above all things, then you'll keep the rest of the commandments perfectly without any trouble. But the truth is we can't. And none of those false gods will save us, no matter how much we trust in them. Only Jesus can save us. Christ is our king and he rules over us by what he's done once and for all. He was crucified for us. And he saves us without our help or without our cooperation. He sets us free from every false god by his grace alone. Listen to what Paul Spratus wrote later in his hymn. He said, Yet as the law must be fulfilled or we must die despairing, Christ came and has God's anger stilled, our human nature sharing. He has for us the law obeyed, and thus the Father's vengeance stayed, which over us impended. So the law must be fulfilled, but we couldn't fulfill it. So Jesus came and stopped God's anger against us by fulfilling it in our place. He lived his life trusting in God his Father alone, and he had no other gods before him. He feared, he loved, and he trusted the Father above all things. Jesus didn't fulfill the first commandment simply for himself to prove something. He fulfilled it for us. And he imputes that perfect obedience to that first commandment here to you tonight. So that you can say, Lord, I love you with all my heart. Because Christ has redeemed the other part, the other half of your heart. He has redeemed your whole heart. So even though you and I cannot keep the first commandment, Christ has. Jesus fulfilled that commandment for you, and this commandment is fulfilled for you when you apprehend it through faith alone. It is given to you in baptism. It is fed to you in the Lord's Supper. That righteousness is spoken to you in the Word. So live the way that Christ has already called you. Live out what He has attributed to you. Live your life and make your faith seen in works. Not to gain your salvation, but because you have it. So don't put your faith or your trust or your fear or your love in anything else. Put your faith in Christ and find your comfort in Him. No matter what you need, look to God. No matter what you lack, trust in Him. And don't be afraid of anything. Because God is for you and who can be against you. Learn that not only God's commands, it's not only that God commands you that he alone should be your God. And it's not only that he says he's the only true God. But he also promises to be the only God that you need. Before closing, listen to this final verse of Paul Sparatus' hymn. Since Christ hath full atonement made and brought to us salvation... Each Christian, therefore, may be glad and build on this foundation. Thy grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Thy death is now my life indeed. For thou hast paid my ransom. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.